Welcome to In The Moment Live. I am Janine Rotter. I've spent the past decade educating clients through my one-on-one personal coaching programs and online nutrition courses. My work has been published in health and fitness articles, Oxygen Magazine, and many Arizona-based media outlets. Today, I am empowering women to live their best lives in the moment. Each week, you will find me here with an exciting new guest or solo where no topic is off limits, bringing unique life experiences to the table live and in the moment. Meet with me every week for in-depth hot topic sessions where no topic is too taboo. In the moment live, we talk about health and wellness, sexuality, intimacy, and spirituality, and how they all connect together for the most powerful and meaningful life. I encourage you to join us during our live sessions and to submit your topic ideas for a chance at it being the main topic in the moment, plus the opportunity for you to be coached by me live one-on-one. This is In The Moment. All right, everybody, welcome to In The Moment. If you are here live or you're listening on the replay, I would greatly appreciate you to show us your love by liking, following, and reviewing on whatever platform you happen to be listening to. And uh, love your feedback on the show. It's new. We're at a month. This is our eighth session. And uh, we're rolling, trying to empower women. So if you have friends, family, neighbors, uh, a woman that you know would benefit from some empowerment, I would uh, greatly appreciate you to send them to the Facebook group, invite them. And if you have a hot topic for me you want to discuss, um, send those over to me. You can you can message me on Facebook. You can email me at info at janinerotter.com. There's also ways to get a hold of me through my email uh, or actually my website. So Today, I am here with a very good friend of mine, Robin Filbury. A little bit about our history is I met Robin uh, during my search to find an anesthesia-free canine cleaning because we have five dogs and they need their teeth cleaned every three months. And so I was searching for someone in our area, found Robin on Facebook, which was super cool. And um, we hit it off immediately. Our souls connected and it was like, we've known each other all of our life. And it's like, oh my gosh, it was, it was amazing. So we've, um, yeah, definitely knew some each other in a past life or something. It was amazing. So we're here today talking to her, um, all things, animals, dream jobs, her passion in the reigning arena, um, how she feels being high above it all, mounting those magnificent animals. Uh, from the reigning horse fireball that taught her patience and perseverance to the severe eating disorder that has rendered her with health issues even today. Ladies, get ready. This is going to be a great show. Um, But first, I want to dive in a little more about Robin. She was born in Ventura, California, where she started her love and passion for animals in her local 4-H club. From raising and showing rabbits, dogs, lambs, and horses, to later training puppies for guide dogs for the blind, you guys, how cool is that? That was news to me when I got that info from her. I'm like, what? How come I've never heard of this? Uh, The very first puppy she raised um, and graduated 
guided her person for eight years. And uh, Robin was able to get her back after her retirement to see her out for her last days. But a beautiful story. We're going to touch on that. Uh, Robin was awarded ETI Junior Miss in the LA County area, one of her most memorable accomplishments. She followed her passion for animals and started her journey working in small veterinarian offices and ER offices and quickly decided that she loved veterinary medicine and continued as a technician. Robin's showing hunter under saddle horses led her to start showing reining, which landed her here in Scottsdale, Arizona, where she now owns and competes in the non-pro division and has open horses with her fiance and trainer, Brent Nair. Robin, welcome to In the Moment. Thank you. <laughs> you ready to talk some fireball? Yeah, let's talk about him. <laughs> um, so my he was pretty much my first reigning horse that I was ever uh, able to ride myself. Um, I did own one prior that was just an open horse. Um, Fire was uh, kind of an unexpected being that landed on my lap. Um, he had a little bit of a troubled past. Um, he was very challenging and I had to learn a lot myself. And the first time I wrote him, I said, what am I doing? <laughs> Why am I doing this? This is not fun. I want to get out of it. Um, shortly after that, I uh, went through a divorce and uh, moved to Scottsdale, Arizona, where I then met uh, my fiance, Brent Naylor, and he saw me ride him. And he said, this horse is perfect for you. And I, many dinners that we argue about that. And uh, well, I wanted to quit many times. And uh, he said, no, you just wait, you wait, you wait. And you, you learn patience and you need to learn when you go to the barn, you have to have this positive attitude because when you walk in the barn and you have a negative attitude, that is uh, ricocheting off you, your emotions onto him. And so Finally, one day I said, okay, fine. So I walked down there and I had a positive attitude. And ever since then, we've been best friends. Um, we have accomplished more than I expected we would do in two years of showing. Um, and he's just part of the family now. Um, he taught me that you can never give up. You can never give up. You can never just throw in the towel and say, I'm done. Because... There is a light at the end of the tunnel uh, if you put your mind and your heart into it. Yeah. And I'm assuming everything behind you, is that all him? This is all him. <laughs> this is his room. So we have a, an office in the house, uh, Brent and his awards. And then when Fire and I started showing, I said, I want my own room. And so I took the other front office in the house and everything here is his. And um, he's just... I, I can't describe in words how much he's touched my life. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is so cool. I, um, the horses thing, it, it amazes me, right? Because that's why they're used in the therapy. They have that soul that we connect with. They're so smart. They're so intelligent. They're so grounding and, it's amazing how much they do teach us. Right. And it's like, it's like that one horse comes into your life just when you need 
that certain moment of whatever he he or she has to offer you. And it's it's amazing that you found that in him. And how old was he when you got him? He was seven when I got him. I've owned him, I believe, three years now. Uh, one quick thing I did forget, um, I did have a animal communicator read from a picture. She lived in Europe. And her first thing was fire trotted up to me and he was very skeptical of me, which is totally him because he has to trust. And then she said uh, a couple minutes later, he came into your life when you needed him and you came into his life when he needed you. And I got him when I was going through my divorce and getting into the reigning sport. And um, he is, he knows he's very, he's, he's more than just a horse. He um, it's crazy. If you meet him, you would know. He just yeah, knows. it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I I can't believe I haven't been out to the ranch. We keep saying we're going to do that and take Karina out there, but we definitely have to get that done. Um, so, it. I know that you have had a lot of animals come into your life. What I know you rescue greyhounds, so I want to mm-hmm. talk about that, but. It's starting at such a young age. What is the most, I mean, teaching dogs, you know, to be guide dogs for the blind. Tell me about that experience. So, uh, I can't even remember how old I was. I know I brought her to, I was in middle school. So it had to have been seventh grade, I believe. Uh, Davina was her name and she was an amazing creature. Um, I got her when she was eight weeks old, got her off the bus, uh, took her home and I was a mama right away. I mean, she slept by my bed. I was with her 24 seven. She went to school with me. She went to Disneyland with me, um, on the rides. Um, I had to care for her with everything she needed. And I was not out hanging out with friends on the weekends. I was not out, uh, doing things that normal kids would do. Um, at my age, I was taking care of her and the other animals I had. And that was my number one priority. Um, I had her for about a year. So I had her from eight weeks to a year. And then it was very sad. I had to give her back. You know, that was the plan. And I got progress reports on her and every progress report. I was like, she's going to fail. I'm going to get her back. She's going to fail. I'm going to get her back. She flew through school And I was called and said, here's her match. And I need you to come up to San Rafael, California and, and hand her off to her new person. So I did that. And, um, little did I know that her owner and I would become very good friends and she lived in LA and I'd visit her often. And then she called me and said, we have to retire her. Would you want her back? And that's when I did. Um, but that dog touched my life. Tremendously. Wow. And so why would they, why did they retire her from that family? Why did she not get to live out her time with them? She, uh, uh, the gal, the lady called me and said, she's walking very, she's staggered and she's not walking right. And so I took her back, not knowing she had a spinal tumor. Um, So I had to take her for MRIs and a lot of vet care. I bought her a wheelchair. She was in a doggy wheelchair and I took her to the park every day and let her be as happy as she could be. And finally, when she wasn't uh, able to function, I let her go, which was about 
I had her for about six to eight months after that. Wow. Well, and I guess it does make sense, right? They're not, they're not there that she's working, right? And if she's not able to perform, it's yeah. nice that she was able to go back to you and live out her the rest of her time yeah. with mom. Yeah. Oh. So there's uh something else too that I know you and I have talked about with you know, just our time together um, that we've spent and it's the Greyhounds. How did you get into those guys? Oh gosh. Um, so I was working with multiple veterinarians uh, in where I lived and um, Barbara Davenport is my just hero for Greyhounds. That's who started me and um, she's in Fillmore, California. And she called me and said, I heard that you through her vet, you know, I heard that you work with these dogs and uh, we'd like to get you to work with some of our rescues. She brought me a few and I fell in love with them, uh, their personality, their everything about them. And Barbara and I connected right away. And um, shortly after that, she invited me to her house uh, where she housed an all of the dogs that came over from Arizona and Tijuana. And I would see 19 or 20 of them that would just come in and um, always wanted one, but I had little poodles at the time and didn't think I could ever get one until uh, I don't even know what year, but it was about six years later, one came through and she touched me and that was my first one. Um, but their personalities and their just everything about them is so different than than a normal dog. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I I've seen the pictures and you just lost one. Yeah. That was yeah. the one. Yeah. It's, it's heartbreaking. It's, um, but so rewarding knowing that you gave them such a good life and coming from where they came from. And, you know, it's, it, it it's amazing that these still exist. Obviously you said those are coming in from Mexico, right? But it, it's even happening here in the United States. And it's, it's heartbreaking when you see how these animals are treated and to just be able to love them for even if, even if it's a short amount of time, it's so rewarding for, again, they teach us so much, right? Yeah. Um, they bring us unconditional love and they teach us to love unconditionally. So yeah, it's, um, interesting how, like I said, the animals come in and it, it's almost like when you, when we're such animal people and we surround ourselves with animal people. And when you come across someone that's not an animal lover, you're like, what, how, how, how is that possible? I don't know if I trust you, if you don't, you know, like animals, yeah. but it's, yeah, it's so rewarding. Now talk about business, right? Let's talk about some business aspects and, um, you, the, your history, your passions, because I know that you have some passion, uh, job stuff that you're trying to get back into. Let's talk about that. Uh, so being a technician in the emergency room and the, uh, general practice was, I loved it. Totally loved it. I bought my first, uh, really fancy hunter under saddle horse and I needed to take another job to afford to pay for his board and training. So I would work at an emergent, uh, sorry, a general practice during the day from eight to five, eight to six, go home for two hours um, and go to the ER till 2 a.m. 
And that was for him. Uh, love the ER, love the thrill of it. But I just, I had a passion for uh, dental work and a couple of vets that I work with had encouraged me to do that. So I worked with them, did some holistic uh work on um, dental cleaning, hygiene, um, overall health. And so kind of went from there. And then I moved to Washington state for a bit, uh, got married and lived there for, I believe, 13 years and uh, met some amazing people. But when I moved there, I didn't have a, a business clientele with the dog industry. And my other passion is serving food and wine and pairing and all that. And so I just shopped downtown one day and there was a cheese shop for sale. And I said, how much? And they said, well, I don't know. And they, I said, well, let me know. So they came back and said, we want out of it. Just pay me for the inventory. So I figured out a way to do that. And I did it. And the first day I opened, I went in there, I, I looked around and I said, I don't know what I'm doing. I This is not my, I have a vision, but I don't know. And they had two employees there and I, they looked at me like, this gal doesn't know what she's talk, doing. And shortly after that, I met some contacts in the wine industry and I paired cheeses with wines and created a wine tasting event. And it kind of went from there. And then Probably two years later, I moved a year, maybe a year later, I moved the shop to a bigger location. And then two years later, I opened up a cocktail bistro for 35 seats. And it was a full menu, um, full cocktail bar. And I did wine events with uh, winemakers and I cooked and sold tickets for 35, I believe-ish seats for a five-course meal. And then I would go and travel and do the dogs and then come back and do that and, um, and show my horses. So oh my. yeah, that was, that was, that was, that was a crazy time. Yeah. Now that's, now you, I know we went out to dinner the other night and you said that, is that your passion? Is that what you want to do? I really would like to do that. Yeah. I really love that. I love in, I love private parties. You know, I, I don't, don't necessarily want to own a restaurant again because it's a lot of work and I can't do all my passions and have that and do it well. Um, but the private events and the private parties and that is my passion. Yeah. So for everybody listening live, we have some people live and on the replay, we know where you know where to go if you're looking in the area and you want some. Um, there's a name, right? Is there's a, I don't know how to pronounce it, what you're called when you pair wine with cheese. It well, a sommelier is the wine person. Um, Say that again. The sommelier is the wine expert. But for me, I didn't go to school for the wine part of it. I just did a lot of trial and error and a lot of meetings with winemakers and, and talk to them and a lot of tastings and a lot of, a lot of trial and error, basically. Yeah. Um, so, so do you have the mint? So like if someone were to call you and say, let's do something, is that something that you, you do is you do the wine and the cheese and take the guesswork out for the client? Actually this weekend, I, my first one in, in, in Rio Verde area, it's a bachelorette party. Uh, it's going to be 10 women and I'm going to go in home and do a breakfast 
mimosa bar and uh, parfait and breakfast burritos. And then I'm going to do a dinner, which is going to be a wine dinner with uh, four to five courses. Oh, wow. Um, so that'll be this weekend. That'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. Can't wait to hear all about it. That's going to be exciting. Yeah. I'll definitely take pictures. Yeah. So that's, and I think that's where I, you know, I know it, we've touched on it and it's, you know, it sounds like you're making it come to fruition and, you know, it's, this is why we're here is empowering women to take hold of their dreams and do what they want to do. And, you know, it's, it's hard to step outside of that box, right? You've been so engulfed in the horse industry and, you know, now you're like, wait, I I, I think I want to go double back into this and play around in that. And, you know, and it's, it's putting yourself out there and it's networking and, but it's really taking hold of the fear, right? Because we all have the fear when we're going out to try something new and it's just saying, let's do this. Let's do it. Let's go for it. And if it goes, it goes. And that's why I'm so glad that you're, you know, doing that because that was going to be a question that I had for you is what's holding you back. And it sounds like nothing. It sounds like you're going for it. And I love it. Yeah. You, you don't know if you don't try and, um, no risk, no reward. And, uh, you want to keep things fresh and, and new. I mean, if you do the same job every day, eventually you're going to get tired of it. Eventually you're going to get burnt out. And for me, I like to, as much as it makes things a little chaotic at times, I like to have things fresh and new. And, uh, I love what I do, everything I do. So I want to keep it that way. So and it's such a nice blend, right? When you can go and do your job of what your passion is, but then you can go out and you can mount the horses and you ride them and you, because that's such a release stress, you know, it releases all that stress and that tension. And, you know, I know there's stress when you guys go to shows, you guys are doing this professionally and selling horses and there's a lot, a lot involved. So, but it is so rewarding when you surround yourself with the love of animals and, um, you, you're able to go out and do your passion, like you said, on weekends or at nights and, and you have that freedom to do it. I love it. Yeah. So I know that this next topic is you've never discussed it before. And I want to start with, I, I dove into some statistics. And, um, so when we highlight on this, that, 70 million people are living with different eating disorders globally. And it's, you know, so oftentimes we think that it's women, but I'll touch on that in a bit, but, you know, there are several women live tonight and I want us all right now to set an intention of um, if you guys can all just place your hands over your heart and set the intention um, that everyone here today has compassion and love and non-judgment for each other. Um, like I said, Robin is going to be discussing some things that she's never talked publicly before. And, you know, we need to hold that in our heart and know that someone listening today, someone listening on the replay, um, we are all going to be affected by eating disorders either personally or with someone we love. And so I just want to take a minute for all of us 
to really tune into compassion, love, and non-judgment. Um, so with that being said, you know, like I said, we're, we're going to dive deep. We're going to get po- uh, personal, uh, vulnerable, and just knowing that this affects men and women both, right? Um, the research suggests that around 40%, 46% of anorexia patients fully recover, 33% improve, and 20% remain chronically ill. And I know we're going to touch on that today. Um, similar research is around bulimia, you know, suggesting that 45% make a full recovery, 27% improve considerably, and 23% suffer chronically. So it's serious. I believe that, again, with social media, it it has become something that even our young kids are affected with. And um, I would like Robin to share her story and her journey. If you guys will all just sit back. You, if, if you have questions and um, you'd like her, for Robin, if you are with us live on Zoom, pop those in the Q&A section, not the chat section. So there's a Q&A down at the bottom. If you'll put those, that's where I'm going to be reading those. If you're live with us on Facebook, you can drop those in the comment. Okay. So again, let's have compassion and love. So Robin, here we are, girl. So gosh, so I, you know, I, I have a, I have an interesting case and it's not, uh, it's not very, it's the word I'm looking for, um, typical. So my journey was, um, you know, raise the guide dogs was in 4-H. I was big. I was big into working and thriving and, and perfectionism and perfectionism, perfectionism, perfectionism. And I just remember, um, I was in eighth grade and they had a beach party, beach party, you know? And I thought, I'm not one of the popular girls because I'm in 4-H, I'm with the animals. I have my own path. I'm not partying and doing all those things. And I just remember my other friends were going and I just said, you know, I'm not good enough to go good enough, you know? So I just kind of said, well, maybe I'll go, but I don't know if I want to expose myself. Maybe I'll go on a diet, you know, started pretty innocently. And then uh, about a year later, I didn't go to the beach party, by the way. And then about a year later, dove into something a little more drastic. Uh, my mother um, struggled with the eating disorder for, I don't even know how many years, many, 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 many years. And I remember that she actually went to an inpatient clinic here in Wickenburg, Arizona. And there was a family week. And family week was we all went, my dad, my sister, my grandma went. and. Uh, We went to meetings, we went to, we dove right into the rehab center. And I was kind of at that tipping point of obsession or not obsession. Man, that just gave me fuel to fire. I thought, man, I'm learning from these women. They're like experts at this. 
And so it was a sick, twisted, sick, twisted idea, right? You go there wanting to help, but you got, I got ideas of how to make it work. And, um, I, I left there. It was very strange. I left there because they did equine therapy. So it was called Bermuda Ranch. It was in Wickenburg, Arizona. They did equine therapy. They had every patient had their own horse. So it was so weird because I was like, that's my dream job. I would love to do that. Like, that's what I want to do when I was, God, I was probably 13, 13 or 14, maybe something like that. But then on the other hand, I had this other devil on my shoulder saying, dive in and find these uh, dysfunctional ways of thinking, right? So I had the angel and I had the devil and I was going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Then we go home and I just dove into the devil, dove in, you know, I dove into, um, I am not good enough if I'm not a size blah, 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 or if I don't weigh a size blah, blah, blah. And um, still function. I was on the tennis team. I showed horses still and 4-H in the open ETI circuits. Uh, That's when I did the junior miss thing category. Um, But, you know, when I had the formal dress fitting, God, I had to be what I had, what I thought I had to be. And finally, your body, your body finally just says, dude, I need to eat. I need food. And so that's when bulimia came in and bulimia was like, oh, I can eat, but then I can get rid of it. Whether it be bulimia has different um, categories. You can, you can uh, purge or you can purge by exercising. And I did both. Um, And then I ended up doing um, high school after two years, I did an independent study so I could work for my horses. And then I didn't have to be around people. So I could do my own routine. I could do my own self-sabotaging. That was really bad, really bad. Uh, Then I got to the point where one day I kind of, and my family, my, my dad and my sister and my grandparents and very loving and supportive, but I didn't want anybody to know about it because it's my own demon to fight. And I've never, I've never been one to ask for help. Even to this day, I don't like to ask for help. And so one day I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, I'm going to die. And I said, it's going to happen because I'm going to have a heart attack. One day I'm going to have a heart attack and I'm going to die. And then I said, but why? And then I thought to myself, but why? Because life is worth living. So, um, somebody referred me to a therapist, a dietitian therapist. And I went and I had a session with her. I brought Davina. I think Davina was with me, my guide dog. And she came with me and the therapist said after about 30 minutes, she goes, why are you here? And I said, because my parents made me, (laughs) you know, I was forced to come. And she goes, you don't need me. She goes, you know exactly what you're doing. You know exactly what you're doing. You know exactly how to get out of it. And you know exactly, I don't, you don't need me. 
And uh, so I left there. I think I told my mom or whatever. And she was, I, I said, she said, I don't need her. And of course she argued with me. And after that point, um, nothing changed still severe because I didn't want to change. I didn't want to, I, I wanted to go on the path that I was going. And then I started having a lot of health issues, stomach issues, um, bad stomach issues and, you know, doctor's appointments and thousands of dollars in co-payments and hospital gastric emptings, tests and barium studies and everything. Nobody could figure out what was wrong with me, but I never told them I was bulimic. I just said, I have stomach pain. So finally I found a doctor that I trusted and I told him, he said, well, you have a hiatal hernia and that's from the purging, right? Now, hiatal hernia can be caused by being overweight, smoking, um, purging, um, other things. But in my case, that was it. And so uh, also I had a, a lot of just sensitivities. And I think it was from the nutrients coming in, coming out. Uh, gut, my gut flora was off. And so I finally just changed um tried to eat things that I thought would make me feel better. And, uh, it got better. Um, but I did have a hiatal hernia and then I had to get follow-up barium tests and follow up and follow up. And finally it went away, but this has been years, years and years, uh, that it went away. Um, and I don't think and for me, not in particular, I, my case is a little different. My case isn't that anybody, nobody made me do it. Not somebody said I was fat or I was this, or I was that it was me wanting to be a perfectionist, me wanting to be what I thought was the perfect, um, a symbol of a woman or a symbol of a, uh, uh productive, uh, successful, but so nobody made me do it. Um, things triggered it. Things triggered me to go into a deep place, uh, divorce, ex-husband, you know, cheating, uh, ex-husband doing hurtful things, mean things, verbal, uh, physical, um, that, but that didn't define me I always had, I always knew what I needed to do and what I needed to change, but it was all on my time. And it was all on when I was ready to do it. What? So you said this started in eighth grade, right? Yeah. So now we're talking when it, the time frame you're at right now, what, how old are you at this? I'm 38. You were 38. So what so i have uh, several questions is what did one is did mom know your secret i know you said you didn't want but at what point did mom find out or did you go to mom and tell her no i didn't say anything uh she because she was deep into her disorder uh she saw things and then she basically um pointed them out, but it wasn't a point out. Like I want to, I, it wasn't, 
she pointed him out and she was like, I, you need to stop this. And then I would go, you need to stop it. So it became this, this, and you're, if you're not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. And we were like this. Um, and, but I, but the, uh, but I knew what I needed to change. And I don't know that she did at that time or if she would admit it. Right. But I, so I don't know if it was a competition. I wouldn't say it was competition. I would just say it was two people in denial, but doing it on purpose. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right. I mean, it's almost like you guys were codependent in your, you know, in the disease that you guys were undergoing. It's like she knew, but you know, as a, as a parent, the worst thing you want to do is say, right. For some parents, it's hard for them to say, my daughter has a problem. Right. Right. And in her own way, she was saying, you know, yes, that I I see what you're doing. You need to stop, but then hypocrite because she was doing it herself. And it would have been extremely hard being in her situation, right? Because she, she knew she was doing it too, but yet seeing which was that um, beneficial for her? I mean, did that help her heal from this? And no, no, no. It's interesting that you said perfectionism because that when I was doing the research is something that they said is that, you know, it is because men and women, boys and girls that they're seeking to be, you know, perfect in whatever that looks like to them, right? They're, they, they obviously saw someone that they idolize that they're trying to look like and that's what's so unfortunate about, you know, touching up photos and airbrushing and doing all of these things is that it does set, you know, such a um, unrealistic expectation for all of us, right? That this isn't really what people are looking like, but it's, it's interesting that, you know, you named it right out of the gate and I'm at what age, when were you really aware that it, that you were able to name it as perfectionism that you said, this is because I want to be perfect. Was that later? Right away. Oh, so you knew immediately. Yeah, that, that's the thing about, I knew exactly what I was doing. At eighth grade. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. And that's, that's impressive, right? That, that you were so smart that you knew that I, I, you know, that to, to be able to name the reason why. Yeah. So today, what challenges are you facing? Well, I think, um, so I've had, I've had discussions with people about addiction. And when somebody says that someone has an addiction, they think it's alcohol, drugs, or smoking. Well, I'm here to tell you that an eating disorder is an addiction. And it's unfortunately something you have to deal with every day. You have to eat, you have to, you have to um, give yourself nutrients, you have to take care of yourself. So unlike alcohol or pills, where you can have them out of your house, you can't have food out of your house. So you have to learn how to deal with it on a daily basis. Um, I going through life where I am now, I'm a happier person than I was then. I have, um, 
I've become, I'm, well, I'm a little, I'm older, I'm a little older. I have more tools in my tool, uh, my tool belt to help me through that. Um, I have people throughout my life that have helped me through that and encouraged me. Um, I find my joy in my animals. I find my joy in my passions and my work. And so that offsets the being so focused on my addiction or so focused on my, um, issues that I've had. So it's something that you have to deal with every day. It's nothing you, you're never, it's never going to go away. You're never going to be a hundred percent healed. You're never going to be a hundred percent over it, but you're going to be 95% better 95, 98% healed, but there's always going to be that percentage that is still there. Right. So it's interesting because you said you walked out of that office because she said, you don't need my help. And you were able to take on this journey of self-healing yourself. Like you said, it's daily work. You're still doing the work, but impressive that you were able to do this yourself. And that is because you were so smart and you knew why you were doing it and you knew how to stop it. Yeah. Oh, there was a lot of time that I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew I knew what I needed to do, but I I had to let myself um, see that and, and and accomplish it, and at least accomplish it for X amount of time. Right? It's like anything you say. Oh, you don't want to eat sugar. You break yourself from sugar for thirty days, and you don't crave sugar. So you have to break yourself from the habits for X amount of days, and then your body doesn't crave those habits, or your body doesn't think about those habits. That's kind of where my mindset was on that. When you shared something with me, um, you said that when I knew I needed to love myself, that was, was that the final moment that you were like, this has to change. Tell me about that. Uh, for me, uh, I, I followed it back to that, um, and I don't know the name of it now, I think it's changed names in Wickenburg, but that equine therapy clinic. So the reason why they assign a patient a horse is because an animal needs you. An animal, if you don't get up and if you don't function, they don't get their needs met. So you had a session where if you don't want to go to the therapy, you don't want to talk to the therapist, you don't want to eat your meal, that's up to you, but that animal needs you and you better get down there and take care of that animal. So for me, it was my animals, my dogs, my horses, um, that needed me. And if I wasn't there, what were they going to do? So for me, that, that was the, the striving, the, the real drive behind it. And then I figured out then I thought to myself and I said, you know, if I don't love myself, how am I going to succeed in showing horses? How am I going to succeed in getting a job? How am I going to succeed in what I want to do with anything? Um, I guess that was kind of, it's not very frilly, but that was kind of how I just decided that I needed to change something. Mm -hmm. Now, if you could, for everyone listening today that might be going through it or know someone that's going through it, or, right, like I said, we might be presented with it in the future. What, if anything, advice can you give? 
Gosh, you know, for me, um, and that's been my passion. And I think when, we, when you told me you're doing this and I said, oh, I've never talked about it, but I'd be willing to talk about it. You have to find somebody to be your sounding board that you trust, that you, that, that you can be open and honest with, and they're not going to judge you because that's the worst thing. They're not going to, um, cut you down. They're not going to say, how dare you? They're not going to say you're a horrible person. You're an idiot. What is it? All the things. Um, you need to have that. You need to have a support group. Whenever you feel like you're going to have an episode and I call it an episode, you get on the phone and you call that person and they talk you off the ledge or you get in your car and you drive to their house or you, you have to take, remove yourself from the situation um, and regroup but you have to have support. Yeah. And I know you've said that, you know, that another one of your dream jobs would be to work with people with eating disorders and the equine therapy. And, um, it could be on such a small level, right? Like you said, if, if, if there's something you guys have the ranch and you guys have so many opportunities for, um, boys and girls to come out, men, men and women, right. And just be able to do some therapy work. But I, I do think that we walk our paths for a reason. And I think we have our stories to tell. And I do believe that, you know, knowing you and the person you are, that I, I think that, that, you know, there's going to be something that presents itself and, you know, and maybe it is this session today that, you know, people, if anything, don't, you know, they, they, like you just said, if they're able to find someone that they can confide in and trust, and that's, that's really more than half of the battle, right? Is just finding someone that you can trust that isn't going to judge you for, because so many people have it and it's, it's okay. It's okay to have it. And it's okay, more than okay to ask for help. So I do, um, I, I, you know, I do want to say thank you so much for sharing your story and um, opening up to us today because your vulnerability is so, is such a gift. And to know that, you know, you were able to pull from it and be successful and, and happy, right. And be here to tell your story and, there's, there's so many people that don't pull through. And, um, so congratulations to you on that and, and loving yourself and, you know, showing yourself kindness and compassion. Um, yeah. So I, I, I think, you know, the only other thing I would say is, you know, um, it's, it's up to all of us to understand that eating disorders, they don't discriminate and it's critical you know, to make sure that everyone has access to help and support, um, that, you know, it's it, that one of the strongest risk factors, I guess, is for an eating disorder is the perfectionism, like we talked about, right. And setting unrealistically high expectations for yourself, um, body image dissatisfaction, something that I've, I've done a lot of work on in my coaching over the years. And, uh, I have some blogs out there, uh, primarily with men and, you know, their body image issues because women steal the spotlight so often and men and our young boys are being missed. And, 
Um, but because of the misconception that eating disorders only affect women, men have been discouraged from coming forward and sharing and trying to find and confide in people. And, you know, many of the factors lead to males being under and misdiagnosed or undiagnosed with eating disorders, um, you know, including the social stigma of males seeking the, the help that we were just talking about. And um, that this is a women's empowerment group and we're coming together to empower women, but so many men in our lives too need help. And I just want to say that today that Yes, it's our young girls and our women friends that may have the problem, but we need to pay attention to our to our men and to our boys in our lives and, you know, be able to help them and guide them if we see that there's something going on um, because eating disorders have the highest mortality rate of any mental illness and that that's terrifying. It's terrifying. And when you say that out loud, it, it's scary you know, the numbers are high and, you know, while eating disorders can affect anyone at any age, um, the primary, that the age is 12 to 25 year olds. And I think you were testament to, you know, around that age group, that's when you started. And thank God, like we said, you were able to catch that. Um, but, you know, because the chance of recovering increases, it's it, the earlier it's caught, the higher the chance that that you will be successful. And it's just so important to catch those warning signs. So um, I want to tell everybody, you know, watching in on the replay that there there are warning signs and there are symptoms um, there. There's prevention, there's statistics and research, and there's a lot of information out there that you guys can hop on to it's nationaleatingdisorders.org and they have a lot of information there. If you know of anyone or if you suspect anyone, um, you know, there's ways to help them. So I also wanted to say thank you to Robin for joining us today and, you know, sharing your story, sharing your passion and your love with the animals. Um, I have the website on my notes somewhere. I'm sorry. You want to throw that website at us where they can find you and your beautiful horses? Oh, I don't have a website, but uh, Brent yes. has. Yes. Yeah. MailerPerformancehorses.com. Um, he has the horses that are all in training um, and my horse is on there. And when we show, we'll share our story. And um, he's the trainer and I'm the non-pro and there's a couple other non-pros. And um, we just... We, it's, it's our passion and part of our job, you know, take care of these horses and show them and, and have fun. Um, but he, it's his, his business and his, his page. Um, but you can follow our showing uh, all the non-pros that show as well. Well, the reason I want to send them there is because there's pictures of you on there, right? Yes. And fireball and all these <laughs> wonderful, spectacular, magnificent yeah. animals. And that's one thing that, I'm going to end with tonight is we've talked about the beauty and the magnificence of these animals, but when you go out in the morning and you saddle up these, so you've saddle up fireball, right? And I'm, and it is right. We know how fabulous they are when they don't have a price tag on them, but 
when you're under saddle of someone that you know has such value in the arena you guys do, just give us what that feels like. Yeah. I mean, you, you basically, I mean, I, I'm learning, uh, I'm learning on one of my new horses that I'm showing and geez, Louise, I mean, it is very intimidating. It's very frustrating. It's learning all over again. Um, it's the wanting to give up. It's the wanting to quit and, you know, just, I'm reminded I got, I, well, I got a, I woke up this morning and, um, I got another buckle that fire and I won and it was delivered oh. to the door and it was like yesterday I wanted to quit again, you know, and today I got the buckle the front door and like, you can do it, you know? So, um, even though I'm not showing him this year, um, it made me kind of want to go out and ride my other horses this morning and say, okay, I need to learn. I need to be receptive to my trainer and my coaches. And I need to really try to focus. So. Yeah. It was that little gift that came in the mail that said, you're not done. Yeah. (laughs) You're not done here. Robin, thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. You're a beautiful gift. And um, yeah, it's, we're here to empower women. And like I said, even the men in our lives that are listening and the, uh, for all of us out there, uh, beautiful, beautiful gift you've given us by telling us your story and you were real and you're honest and we appreciate it. We love you for it. And anything else you would like to end with? No one has any questions for Robin before we sign off really quick. Some words of encouragement, some thank yous. We still have several people live. Thank you guys for joining us live. I appreciate it greatly. Um, Again, if you guys uh, are enjoying the sessions, be sure to share, follow, like, review. We are on YouTube and we are on Apple Podcasts. So if you're not, when you go to the gym or you're saddled up on that horse, you can pop us in and listen to us. So you can share this uh, replay with the men in your life. Um, I had several men asked to join and I want to apologize to you guys, but this is a women's empowerment group and um, you guys can listen on the replay. So we have a lot of hearts coming in, Robin, for you on Facebook. Thank you so much for sharing, Robin. Um, I can't wait to come see the horses. That's from Karina. I have a heart from Nikki. Everybody's showing you the love. She can't see it, you guys. So I'm reading them to her. So proud of this beautiful young lady coming from Carol. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll keep that up. That stays on the Facebook group. So Robin, you can hop over, read these wonderful comments coming in. Thank you guys so much. Have a great night. Thank you. Yes, beautiful soul. Thank you guys, enjoy. If you liked this session today, be sure to register to join us live in the moment. For an updated schedule of events and upcoming guests, be sure to head over to JanineRotter.com and check out the events page or find me on my Instagram at my handle in the moment underscore live. I can't wait to see you in the moment.